Hello, thanks for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore. I'm the Director of Communications at the National Cannabis Industry Association. And before I introduce my guest today, I would like to quickly mention NCIA is hitting the road for some in-person events very, very soon. We will be in the Empire State on June 6th, June 7th, and June 9th on our Insights and Influencers New York Opportunity Tour. Please join us in Rochester, New York, Albany, New York, and New York City on those dates. You can head to our website, thecannabisindustry.org, learn more about all three events, and current NCIA members have complimentary access to these events. Non-members can still join us for $100 per person, early bird pricing. Head to thecannabisindustry.org and we will see you in New York. So nice to get back out there in person. Oh, all right. So today my guests are from NCIA's Cannabis Manufacturing Committee. Paul Coble is an intellectual property attorney with Harris Bricken and chair of the Cannabis Manufacturing Committee. And Scott Seeley is an intellectual property attorney with Eastgate IP and is the organizer of the committee. Welcome you both to the show today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. Excellent. So let's start by just diving right into some high-level topics around patents in the cannabis industry. You can get a patent for just about anything. You just have to be the first person to invent it and submit the paperwork. Everything in our houses, like paper towel rolls, had a patent. So now in the cannabis industry, we're wrapping our arms around patents for things like vaporizer technology, plant genetics, for example. So to start, Paul, I wonder if you could talk a bit about the impacts of a patent and what it means for a company. Sure. So let's start from the beginning and take a step back and talk about what patents are for a second. So patents are government-sanctioned monopolies that are given out to companies or individuals uh, to exclusively make, use, or sell, or import a particular technology for a limited period of time. And that's done in exchange for telling the world how they, how they did it and giving the world that knowledge and information. Uh, as you can imagine, patents being a, a government-sanctioned monopoly can be incredibly valuable for a company to own uh, as either a method of monetizing their technology or uh, inhibiting comp- competitors from copying their inventions. Uh, As you mentioned, though, patents are only supposed to be given out to new and useful inventions. Uh, And so we've developed a process in the US Patent Office to determine whether an invention really is new. Um, And they have to, inventors have to submit a ton of paperwork and go back and forth with the Patent Office for um, what can be several years in order to actually secure a patent. Um, Unfortunately, though, there are for a variety of reasons, the patent office sometimes allows patents uh, for inventions that are not new and never should actually have been issued. And we're seeing more and more of those bad patents in the cannabis industry. Interesting, bad patents. And to hear the phrase government sanctioned monopoly was definitely a new thing for me as well. 
usually thinking of monopolies as something that the government's trying to break up. So it's interesting to hear it in a different context for sure. So, I mean, patents are really over my head and that's why there's, there's experts in this field such as yourselves. And it sounds like there's some challenges here with the, the bad patents being issued, particularly in the cannabis space is what we're talking about today. So, all right, so what is a good patent? What is a bad patent? How are they being used in the cannabis space? And why is this important for cannabis operators to really wrap their arms around? Well, you said it yourself. I mean, government-sanctioned monopoly is kind of a scary term, right? Um, and patents, as a result, sometimes get a bad rap, a negative stigma around them. But not all patents are inherently bad. They can actually be a very useful tool for individuals and small companies to monetize inventions that they can't actually commercialize themselves. Uh, however, there is a problem when overly broad patents issue or patents issue for inventions that are not actually new and that the industry has already been using for years. Um, those overly broad patents can stifle innovation and inhibit competition. Uh, one good example is last month, a new patent issued for a process to make Delta-8 THC, obviously a, a hot commodity and a topical invention, um, but it certainly isn't a new invention. I brought this up to the Cannabis Manufacturing Committee on the day it issued, and it was roundly considered to be a well-known uh, and very well-understood process. Uh, and I spent about five minutes on Google patents and found a patent that issued about 20 years earlier for the exact same process using the exact same reagents to make the exact same product. So certainly this was a patent that should not have been issued in the first place. Um, but why it issued is actually a more complicated reason uh, or complicated question. There are a number of reasons why bad patents are issuing and why they are particularly prevalent in the cannabis space. There are certain systematic issues that, with the patent office that result in some low quality examination, uh, particularly in certain types of technology. But a, a big problem in the cannabis industry is also a lack of traditional prior art, which is other patents and academic papers that are uh, published in the places that patent examiners are looking for them. Yeah, that's really interesting. The, the Delta 8 situation is definitely uh, something I'm still trying to wrap my head around. It kind of sounds like issuing a patent for like a strawberry or something that it just kind of doesn't make sense. And it makes me think of uh, copywriting a little bit. And I know that's different. Like didn't 10 or 15 years ago, Paris Hilton tried to copyright, copyright the phrase that's hot. I, I don't think she was successful. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit more about these bad or potentially invalid patents, Scott. Yeah. Um, so Paul's exactly right. Um, Paul, the, the, the patents are supposed to be awarded to the first inventor to file on a new piece of technology. Um, so a patent examiner is typically going to examine the application to try and evaluate whether the subject matter is new or if it's been previously described. The examination process we have in the U.S. is pretty good, but it's not perfect. So although the examination is typically performed by a subject matter expert, there are some significant restraints on the examiner's ability to effectively examine an application. 
Um, so examiners are allotted a limited amount of time to review each application. And so although any written publication can technically be used by an examiner, their search typically focuses on previous patent filings, as well as well-known literature repositories and occasionally general internet sources. Uh, unfortunately, prohibition has significantly limited the amount of cannabis research that's been performed in the U.S. and then published mm. in these well-known literature repositories. Prohibition has also led to reduced patent filings in this space, meaning that there's fewer patents for examiners to identify in their search. So that doesn't mean that these relevant disclosures don't exist. There's been a huge amount of research and development performed under the backdrop of prohibition. It's just that the knowledge that's been developed and published is generally in unconventional sources, such as internet blogs, informal hobbyist guides, books, even darknet forums that are generally not searched by the examiners. So this is pretty important because although an examiner has a limited amount of time to search your application, and generally they're going to search sources that they're familiar with, a potential infringer is not going to be under the same limitations. And they're going to scour the ends of the earth for any evidence that your patent's invalid in hopes of escaping what are often significant infringement damages. So this disparity in the time and resources spent evaluating a patent's validity between the examiner and the potential infringer is one of the reasons why these bad or potentially invalid patents exist. So in the wake of legal Legalization as more companies are pursuing patents in this space, being aware of these challenges up front can help you navigate the examination process more effectively and help you obtain better patents in the end. Wow, yeah. So limited time to do the research, limited resources to do the research, and I'm sure there's quite a backlog in the patent office as well. So if you're a cannabis company, what what do these bad patents mean for you? What do you need to do to be aware, to protect yourself, to submit a good patent? What's that look like? That's really why it's important to be informed about this process from the outset. So companies should be aware of the particular challenges that they're going to face in this specific field, and they should adjust their IP strategy accordingly. So when filing any patent, it's really important to work with an attorney that understands the technological space that you're going to be filing your application in. Um, this allows your, your, this allows your attorney, that is, to more effectively search the subject matter, identify the types of references an examiner is likely to find, and then draft your application around those references. You can also include arguments and distinguishing features in the application that are going to improve your odds of success. Um, on the other hand, uh, when you're performing freedom to operate searching of competitor patent portfolios prior to like launching a new product, you should be willing to dig into and evaluate the validity of the patents you're finding, because right now there are a lot of bad patents in this space. So kind of digging into those validity issues early on can be really advantageous right now. And that's definitely what I would recommend companies start looking at today. Wow. Yeah, it's great that there's uh, folks out there that have, have this knowledge base as well. And to your point, the research that's been available in our space, um, you know, has been limited due to federal prohibition primarily. And, you know, to your point, the resources that are out there are, you know, you're not exactly finding a whole lot on LexisNexis or government websites at this stage, but hopefully more as we move into the future and become a more sophisticated industry. All right, let's go ahead and take our first commercial break here, and then we'll come back and chat more about patents in the cannabis industry. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore, with the National Cannabis Industry Association. 
chatting with a couple of members from our cannabis manufacturing committee, Paul Coble and Scott Seeley. They are both intellectual property attorneys wrapping their heads and trying to explain this patent thing to me. Uh, so there's bad patents that exist out there. We've established that before the break. So let's let's get into more about what applicants of new patents can do to prevent obtaining a bad patent or to improve the quality of that patent that they are seeking to obtain. Yeah, absolutely. So being aware of the challenges that exist in this space can put you in a position to reduce the impact that they'll have on your filings and improve your chances of successfully obtaining a quality patent. So applicants have a duty to disclose to the patent office any relevant publications that they're aware of. And some applicants will try to game the system by attempting to minimize the number of references they need to disclose by just entirely avoiding searching altogether. And this is almost always a bad decision. Um, the examination process is a two-way street. And so as we've been saying, examiners have a very limited amount of time to review your application. So doing your own searching prior to filing can greatly help you improve the quality of the examination process. Um, so again, your own searching helps you identify the types of references that an examiner is going to find when they search your application. So you can help draft around those references that you think they're likely to find, and you can include distinguishing arguments in your application to improve your chances of success when the examiner does find those references and starts issuing rejections. Um, as the inventor, you're also likely the most aware of what's the most relevant art in your field. So having the examiner consider Having the examiner review what you consider to be the most relevant prior art, again, it greatly improves your chances of obtaining a valid patent at the end of this process. Because at the end of the day, it's in your best interest to have the most relevant references considered as part of the examination process, since this makes it much more difficult for a competitor to later argue that the patent is invalid over those references since they've already been considered by the examiner during examination. Also. The cannabis industry can work towards improving patent quality as a whole by publishing its research in well-known repositories that make it easier for examiners to examine these applications. And companies even can strategically make defensive publications to make it more difficult for competitors to obtain patents in already well-documented fields. Um, but this obviously isn't helpful if you already have your patent. So defensively, if you become aware of, of art that makes you question the validity of your patent, there's some countermeasures available. So without getting too into the weeds, there's a process called ex parte reexamination where you can petition the patent office to reexamine your application in view of certain references that you think raise a question of patentability or validity. Um, ex parte reexamination involves another round of examination between the patent owner and the patent office. A third party challenger is generally not going to be allowed to participate in the proceeding, which is usually good for the patent owner. Um, during re-examination, a panel of experienced patent examiners are generally going to review the patent along with the identified references that you're going to supply. They might issue rejections and you're going to have an opportunity to respond to those rejections and amend the claim. So that way you can try to narrow down your patent to avoid any newly identified prior art in order to preserve its validity. Um, so this can be super helpful if you're concerned about the validity of your patent, if a competitor is raising invalidity assertions, or just to strengthen your own patent prior to asserting it. Because um, it's, it's going to be a contentious process once that patent is asserted. Interesting. Yeah, it sounds like quite a bit of due diligence and also putting putting your patent to the test, to the challenge under a spotlight as well. Huh. So 
let's move on to what would happen if when really there's an infringement of a patent, whether whether by accident or otherwise, what should a cannabis operator do if they're the ones who have been accused of infringement of a patent? So patent infringement can be really expensive. I, I don't think that's news to anyone, but sure, it can carry with it uh, incredible damages. So step one, is to avoid infringing any patents. Uh, you can be liable for patent <laughs> infringement without knowing about the patent. Um, so you you need to proactively monitor the field in which you operate in and identify any potentially uh, relevant patents to your business. This means you know if you hear someone say that they have a patented product at a trade show and it looks very similar to the product that you're working on, you should talk to a patent attorney and evaluate whether or not that patent is a problem for your business. But more than just avoiding infringement, monitoring these patents is actually a really good practice uh, for your own business as well, because you can learn a lot of background information and scientific uh, data that is not within the claims of the patent from these uh, the descriptions in the patent. So there may be technical information that you can put to use in your own business and your own practices without infringing these patents. Um, you also may gain information about what your competitors are doing, where they're heading, and what types of technologies um, they're about to bring to market. There are a bunch of services that you can use to monitor uh, patents. Unfortunately, there aren't very many good consumer-friendly patent services. Uh, Google Patents is pretty decent for searching for and identifying patents that are out there. Um, and as a bit of a shameless plug, I also curate a database of cannabis-specific patents at bottledcloud.io. And every week I publish uh, a curated section of patents that I think are um, relevant to the industry or use the plant. Um, so that's a good resource as well to identify and um, spot new cannabis patents. Once you do find or identify a, a patent that you think might be relevant to your business, it's really important that you work with a patent attorney uh, to advise you on the scope of that patent and whether your actions or contemplated actions may be considered to infringe. Because um, like I said, patent infringement can be very, very expensive, especially if you uh, knew about the patent and didn't take steps to avoid it. However, a good patent attorney can also help you avoid the patent's claims uh, without much uh, commercial downside, because oftentimes these patents are much more narrow than the public believes them to be, and little changes to products or processes can eliminate any um, potential claim of infringement. So a patent attorney can work with you to um, avoid the specific claims of a patent, uh, if that's possible. And if they do um, believe that you're not infringing the patent or that the patent is in invalid, they can provide you with what we call uh, an opinion, an, either an invalidity opinion, saying that, in my opinion, I don't think that that patent is valid, or a non-infringement opinion saying that um, your contemplated practice or the way that you operate does not infringe this patent. Um, and those opinions can be very valuable for a number of reasons. Um, one reason is that they can eliminate willful infringement and eliminate any kind of punitive damages in uh, patent 
liability. But the other more practical um, use for a, a non-infringement opinion is that they can serve as kind of a manual for your employees to operate under so that they know that they're not going to be infringing those patent claims. Mm. Yes, this all sounds a bit like a full-time job just to keep up on uh, all these processes and, and research and uh, sounds like a little bit of patent spy work as well, which is kind of fascinating. <laughs> um, we have just a minute left before we're going to take our second commercial break, um, but I'd like to start talking about what options cannabis companies have if they see bad patents just running out in the wild, uh, what they can do to have it challenged. Scott? Yeah, well, no system is perfect, and the Patent Office is certainly aware of the limitations placed on examiners in the current examination process. Um, so it is possible to petition the Patent Office to re-examine your own patent. You can also petition the Patent Office to review a competitor's patent that you believe was wrongly issued. Um, typically, the procedure that you're going to use for something like this would be called inter-parties review. This allows you to petition the patent office to consider the validity of a competitor's patent in view of prior art references that should have been considered during examination. Unlike ex parte re-examination that I was talking about before, inter-parties review allows the involvement of a third-party competitor um, or challenger. So this means that you can make arguments and submit, submit evidence against a competitor's patent before the patent office. If you're successful, you can usually have the competitor's patent completely invalidated, if not at least significantly narrowed. And generally speaking, these procedures are very effective. The Patent Office institutes review in more than half of the petitions it considers. And once review is instituted, almost all cases see the patent invalidated or at least narrowed in scope. Hmm. Um, these patent procedures are typically less expensive and proceed much more quickly than a traditional challenge in a U.S. court there are some downsides. So if you challenge a patent through inter-parties review, you can't later use the same argument or arguments that you could have made during that review in a later court proceeding. So you really need to do your due diligence up front and identify all relevant arguments at the outset so you're not leaving anything on the table. And there are also some limited grounds of challenging the patent through inter-parties review. So for example, the arguments that you use in inter-parties review need to rely on the existence of prior art publications, whereas in a traditional court setting, you might also be able to challenge other aspects of the patent, such as whether the patent's directed to an abstract idea, natural law, or other subject matter that the law just doesn't even allow patent protection for in the first place. Mm, mm, got it. All right. Um, I'd like to hear what Paul's advice are as soon as we come back from our second commercial break. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio, chatting with two members of our Cannabis Manufacturing Committee about patents in the cannabis industry, and specifically the bad ones. Um, and my question before the break was the options cannabis companies have when they see bad patents out there and what to do to have it challenged. Paul, what was your insight about that? So Scott talked a lot about the uh, procedures within the patent office to challenge um, issued patents. And those procedures are, are great and they really should be considered in just about every instance. Um, but there is another option that if you are accused of patent infringement, um, it's a bit more of a nuclear option. And that is you can go to a federal court and seek what's called a declaratory judgment that you do not infringe that patent or that that patent is invalid. Um, uh, seeking a declaratory judgment 
typically sets off a patent infringement lawsuit. And so you have to know what you're getting into with it, but it does allow the accused infringer to select the time and place that they uh, fight the infringement battle. Um, so there are some advantages to filing a declaratory judgment action, and there are some advantages to doing so in certain circumstances where a, a post-grant review in the patent office either is not available or based on the particular arguments that you want to advance doesn't make as much sense. Got it. All right. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of moving parts here. Um, so let's say there is a patent that several companies are all looking at and they all think it's bad. Like I think the Delta 8 patent you mentioned earlier, um, we're already seeing several states beginning to regulate, restrict the sale of that. Is, is there a way for cannabis companies to team up maybe to in invalidate the patent? Yeah, absolutely. So challenging a patent can be very costly, especially for smaller companies and for startups. Other industries have tried to address this problem by establishing groups such as member-based organizations that are allowing companies to pool their resources to challenge bad patents or bad actors in the space. One example would be Unified Patents, which is an organization that charges a membership fee, and then it uses those fees to challenge bad patents in various spaces. Um, and this is an area where I'm actually really excited, and I see a huge potential for growth in the cannabis industry. As, as the cannabis field continues to grow and mature, I think we're going to see different groups coordinating to challenge these patents and these bad actors, because ultimately it's going to be a lot of large Goliath companies enforcing their rights on smaller shops. And I think there's going to be some teamwork, some element of teamwork is going to be necessary to overcome these challenges. So uh, whether it's a unified patents in the kind of cannabis space or another similar organization, I think there's a lot of room for growth here. Mm, wow, what an interesting point about, uh, you know, the larger conglomerates and and how they could use patents to, you know, harm the, the smaller businesses trying to thrive. Hmm. What about you, Paul? Yeah, I agree. I think that there are a lot of um, interesting options for the industry to band together and challenge these overly broad or invalid patents. Um, I There's been a lot of these types of groups in other industries that have various levels of success, but there's also some new types of technology that are emerging now, um, particularly around Web3 and, and um, blockchain applications that have the potential at least to facilitate um, this type of organization around uh, challenging bad patents. I've seen some organizations flirting with the ideas of DOAs or decentralized uh, autonomous organizations that are essentially organizations that live on blockchain and are governed by a set of rules and operate autonomously. Um, there have been some options floated for ways to challenge uh, patents using DOAs out there. So I think that there's some interesting technologies and I think that there's some appetite for using those newer technologies in the cannabis industry. Um, so I'm really excited to see what types of uh, methods people come up with to police these patents as they come out. Yeah, interesting stuff there. It's almost uh, it's almost like creating a club to create patent insurance or something. I, I don't know. I really appreciate you both uh, breaking this down for me. And, and uh, again, that's why there's people like yourselves who are experts in this field. It is very complicated. It is a very complex 
topic, it, but has incredible impacts on cannabis companies' ability to operate uh, and, and avoid legal exposure, I'm, I'm thinking. Is, is that a good way to put it? Absolutely, if you do it right. <laughs> well, yep, there's that. You got to do it right. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you both again for joining me today. Really great work coming from NCIA's Cannabis Manufacturing Committee. So it's greatly appreciated. Thank you for being on the show today. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. Until next time. opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.